Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It is July 12th, 2022. It's a special Tuesday edition of the OTC podcast. Just a little too busy uh, to record earlier than this. Anyway, this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, or you can get in touch with me uh, via email, jason at overthecap.com. And I am joined, as usual, by Nellie the Bunny. Nellie, anything? No, we have once again uh, given Nellie a treat, so she is, I'm sure, very happy with that, and we'll hold off on getting in the way for everything. So since it's a Tuesday night and the plan is to play basketball at, I don't know, 6, thir- uh, six in the morning or so tomorrow, um, no beer of the night tonight, that's for certain, but we did have some Jersey Girl uh, pocket aces that I had floating around for a while uh, this past weekend. That was pretty good. So if you're, uh, you're in New Jersey, I don't know if they actually have that one anymore i I think that might have been a limited edition or might have been just an old thing and they stopped selling it um because i looked on their website and i didn't see it i only see their mount olive pilsner um in that style but you can check them out they're a pretty good brewery uh local to the mount olive bud lake area in new jersey so you can uh check them out if you get a chance so you know the big news this week uh baker mayfield the trade finally happens he goes to Carolina, and the Cleveland Browns pick up a good portion of the bill here. They will pick up, I think it's $10.5 million. Let's take a look here. Let me just make sure I have the numbers right. I don't know yet. They just redid this contract yesterday. I think it was official. Um, so he was scheduled to make $18.858 million, really more than that. So I, I don't even know how much he gave up here because it, his salary was that, but there's another $1.1 million that should have been coming his way um, as a 17th game check. It doesn't count on the cap, but it does count. Um, it should count at least for the purposes of that. I, I believe the option year counts in the 17th game check. Uh, so anyway, yeah, the, the Cleveland Browns paid 10-5. He agreed to take a 3-5 pay cut and the Panthers pick up the balance, which is going to be in the ballpark of like $5 million. And, you know, it, it probably sets a stage. It, it kind of doesn't set a stage. It kind of follows, I think, the Teddy Bridgewater stuff. This is about what the Broncos are willing to pay for Bridgewater. So I think this is kind of setting that stage for what these quarterbacks who are just completely on the outs with their former teams and maybe aren't, aren't really looked at. Um, as that good are necessarily worth uh, to a team in the NFL. Um, I was a little surprised that he gave up money in this deal. You know, there's three things you have to look at here. So we're looking at Carolina, we're looking at Cleveland, and we're looking at him and his own, um, you know, the, the own his own impact that he's going to have on his contract and his contractual future by taking this deal. So, you know what, let's just start with Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland basically gets a fifth-round pick that can escalate, I think it's to a fourth-round pick, <coughs> if certain um, performance thresholds are met. I don't know what those thre- the thresholds are. It's a pretty crappy deal for Cleveland. Um, Cleveland just didn't play this properly. So, you know, they, they kind of they, they kind of ended up with some of the worst compensation that you could imagine for a somewhat viable quarterback in the NFL. Um, Baker Mayfield is a former number one pick. It's not like he's a bust. Maybe he's a bust based on being the number one overall pick. 
I don't think you would look at Baker Mayfield and say this guy's a bust. You know, you, you would look at him and say, well, you know, he, he's a he's a decent quarterback. Maybe he's an average quarterback. Probably some maturity issues. Uh, there, there there may be some maybe a little too thin skinned for the NFL. Um, you know, that that might be a, a concern consideration for certain teams. But Sam Darnold last year, you know, he 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 got two second round picks. And Baker Mayfield's career has been far better than Sam Darnold's. I, I would say Baker Mayfield's worst year, which was last season, um, was better than anything Sam Darnold did with the Jets. Now, the, granted, the, there's two little differences here. You know, the, the Panthers got two years, so they, their all-in cost on Darnold uh, was probably going to be about $10 million a year. Uh, let's pull that up. Sam Darnold... Sam Darnold made 4.7 last year from them. Uh, so let's see. And he was going to make 18.858 this year. So 23 million over two. So about 12 million a year. So yeah, th there's a contractual benefit to it, but not that much of a difference, right? So. I think he would look at it and say, if you get two twos for Sam Darnold and we're picking up the cost, you probably should get at least a third round pick. You know, something that can escalate to a two if you're going to pick up that much of the cost and get him to agree to give up three five. Now, I think part of the problem was that negotiation of how much he could give up probably came from Carolina. Um, that, that was probably negotiated with them. Whereas... If Cleveland maybe had negotiated that into the deal uh, on their own, maybe that would have helped them in terms of getting a little bit more. But I, I was really trying to think of other quarterbacks who were drafted this high, um, you know, somewhere here that got this poor of a return. You know, maybe uh, Bradford was probably a two in Nick Foles, and he was towards the end of his contract, and then he went for a one to Minnesota. Uh, Josh Rosen was earlier in his contract, but I think that was a two. But there, there, there was a little bit more contractual leverage that would have existed there than exists with Carolina, um, you know, to do that deal. But, you know, I, I think overall, you know, it, it, this was just a way for Cleveland to, to make the best, I guess, out of a bad situation. They created it. Um, Again, in hindsight, they didn't know they were going to get Deshaun Watson, but I think when you, you look at the way as to how aggressively they pursued Watson and how they, they kind of treated Mayfield on his way out um, during this period of time, I think it was kind of clear that the marriage was already over. I, I don't know if they were going to be able to mend the fences anyway, even though they had picked up that option. So you kind of wonder why they didn't just go this route ahead of time. Um, you have to know, even if you got Watson, you had to know that there was always going to be a suspension looming above his head that could run the full season. And if you knew that going into that trade, 
you pretty much have to know that you would be happy with Jacoby Brissett being your starting quarterback this year because you were never going to turn back to Baker Mayfield. I don't think that was ever an option for Cleveland. You know, for everybody that was bringing up, well, you know, he might play six games with them if uh, Watson gets suspended six, or maybe he'll play 10 games if he gets suspended 10. I don't think that was ever in the cards for the Browns. And when you look at this deal, I think that's pretty clear that they, they knew that this was done at this point. But I think it was done before that. And I think that, uh, you know, had, had they done this, <clears throat> you know, in February, had they worked the trade market in February, I think there, there were probably more viable trades that they could have made, um, you know, to get him off the team. The perception changed so much once they went so strongly after Watson and things blew up with Mayfield um, in the media kind of as well because he was pretty upset about everything. Uh, you know, I, I think that, that just kind of leveraged him out. So... You know, it, I think when you look at this now, this was, if you want to take this as collateral damage of Deshaun Watson, um, you know, that this just adds to that bill, right? So now we've got a $230 million contract for him. You may as well just say, well, we were willing to eat 10-5 on this one, and we'll just add that in there. So really, your, your new effective cost is about $48.1 million instead of 46 per year under Sean Watson. So all in all, I think the whole timeline of events and the way this all unfolded for Cleveland, it, I, th I think they just come out of this whole thing looking bad. Um, <coughs> even if you take out the whole the, the Watson... Um, you know, off the field, personal feelings towards him and everything else. Just just from a pure way that they played this, uh, they didn't play it well. Uh, I think they, they just, they tripped over themselves at too many spots. And that led to them having this kind of this deal. Uh, for Carolina, I think they, they come out with a, a nice chance here. Um, like I said, Baker Mayfield is a viable quarterback. And viable might mean that he has a career that, you know, mimics someone like a Ryan Fitzpatrick, for all I know. But he's a starter in the NFL. He might be a low-level starter. You know, maybe he's never going to take that next step. But he is a capable quarterback. I don't look at Sam Darnold and say this guy's a capable starter in the NFL right now. Um, you know, I look at Baker Mayfield and I say... You know, he should be starting this year and he should be starting somewhere next year and probably the year after that. And then, you know, you see where things go. Sam Darnold, to me, looks like someone who's going to have a career as a backup. And that's if he wants to continue doing that. You know, he's made a, a decent amount of money in his career already. Um, you know, maybe you could just get to the point where you know, you're just not interested in doing that. So I, I think they clearly upgrade their position. And I, I don't think that... You know, they, they played off Mayfield's emotions. And I, I think Mayfield's emotions are very clearly to be playing against um, his former team in week one. Uh, opportunity to start, even though it's not a given that he's going to get the starting job. Um, I, I think they just played off of all of that. And they got him to take this $3.5 million cut. And now I, I think I read somewhere today that he said... Well, they, they were looking for a bigger cut at first. Basically, they were looking to just pay him the minimum salary for the year. And, you know, they didn't agree to that. But 
whatever, if you go back and you, you look at the way that this team treated this position last year, it's like, how could you take any kind of pay cut from Carolina? You know, Carolina last year, so they made that trade for Darnold and they opted into his contract sight unseen for $18.9 million for this year, plus the $4.8 million in salary last year. They traded Teddy Bridgewater for basically nothing to Denver and they ended up paying him uh, how much to go away? Let me see. They ended up paying him... $7 million to go away. So they paid him $7 million last year to not play football for the Carolina Panthers. Then, when they realized Sam Darnold was terrible and always hurt all the time again, they turned back to Cam Newton. They signed Cam Newton to a contract that paid him $6 million last year. And that was for a contract that was signed in November. So that actually had a base salary, a base rate of 825. So if he was signed at the beginning of the season, they were willing to pay him 8.3 million with another 4 million in upside. So you'd be looking at 12.25 for a washed up, broken down quarterback who wasn't even in the league last year. You know, the Patriots cut him and he was done. He looked done the year before and he looked done last year when he came in for Carolina. They still paid him six to play. So Mayfield should have given up nothing to go to Carolina. But when you just look at how desperate Carolina has been at this position, to convince him to give up something is a great job by their front office. Now, once the Browns say the most we'll eat is 10, you know, or 10-5, and you figure out the rest that you want to do with him, now, the, the fact that they were able to do that is amazing. Now, unless his incentive thresholds are really, really low, where he's going to make up that 3-5 very easily, um, it seems crazy to me that he'd be willing to, to do that. And so I think that's a good job by them. And, you know, it, it at least gives them a fighting chance. They had a good defense last year. I, I don't know how good their defense will be this year. We know that that's pretty volatile year to year. But I think when you look at some of the players that are there, you know, it's it's at least a, a chance that they'll be decent on defense. I think the coaching staff is pretty good in that regard. Uh, will they get anything out of their offense? You know, who knows? This will be the best set of receivers he's probably worked with. Look, when he worked with Odell Beckham, Odell Beckham wasn't Odell Beckham. O Odell Beckham hasn't really been Odell Beckham in, I don't know, five years. It's been a long time uh, since Odell Beckham was what you remember him being with the Giants. And I know he had some nice... Um, nice little run at times with the Rams last year and everything else, but he was basically a shell of himself when he signed that extension um, in New York, and then when he went to Cleveland, I think he was just unhappy with it, and I, I think he realized probably just missed being in New York. Jarvis Landry signed for the minimum. You know, Jarvis Landry was not a high-level player. Um, Jarvis Landry may be around the minimum. Maybe maybe, I'm, maybe he's a little over that in New Orleans. Um you know, so I, I don't think he he really had a lot of great players to work with. So he he will have some receivers here that are better. Uh, you know, Moore is much better than those two players right now. Anderson is so so. He's very very streaky. 
Uh, but, you know, he, he might be able to give you a little bit of something. Uh, they're probably lacking in their tight ends compared to what they had over in Cleveland. And then, you know, you'll have the question of McCaffrey and he, whether he can come back or not. I, I would lean towards no, but, you know, to figure out how to get some stuff involved. But, you know, Carolina probably won't ask him to do too, too much. So I, I think they'll let him settle in. And, yeah, you do have some talent around him that's there. You don't have the offensive line that he had in Cleveland. That's probably the concerning thing is that Cleveland, uh, for whatever you want to say about them, they had a great offensive line. And sometimes that can bring a lot of confidence to a player when you know those guys in front of you are pretty much going to keep you upright. They don't really have that in Carolina. You know, they, they have a guy or two here or there. Uh, but that that's an area that they're a little deficient in. So that that's one of those spots where <coughs> you probably have to um, – you know, watch how he's going to be. Uh, for Mayfield, this is a big risk, in my opinion. Um, I know a lot of people are going to disagree with that, and a lot of people are going to say, look, he's got to play. If he wants a chance for that big contract, he's got to play football. The problem is, I, if Baker Mayfield bombs this year, um, He's not going to get that big money next year, and he's probably not going to make back that 3-5 he gave up for no good reason. Um, you know, it, it's a risk. And the thing is, if he sat on the bench all year in Cleveland and pouted and was unhappy, I think he would have gotten a contract somewhere that you know, probably would pay you $10, $11 million a year and uh, a little bit more in incentives, uh, you know, if you do well. Um, with the exception of Jameis Winston, who I still can't figure out why that market didn't exist there. The the only thing I could think of, and uh, I'll talk about this kind of concept in a second, it's just because he failed with Arians there, and I, I think that was uh, maybe considered a big negative for him. And, may, and failure is probably not the right word, but um, you know he didn't get them to the playoffs with him there. Uh, I think... When you look at the situation, you can fail with a team. When you're when you're a high draft pick, all right, your draft status stays with you for one contract. Um, you know, maybe if you take a prove it deal, maybe it runs into a second contract. But for the most part, your draft status stays with you for a contract. Um, you know, you could be one of the worst players in the world. You know, Vernon Golston was one of the worst draft picks in Jets history. That's saying something. Even he got a contract after the Jets cut him, and it was a small guarantee. And but the contract was for more than a minimum. The minimum he just didn't make the team. I think it was the Rams, Rams or the Bears. Uh, you know they gave him a deal. You know it, it's very few that can't capitalize on that draft status into something. And when you look at players like an RG three, you look at a Marcus Mariota. Um, most of those players would sign a deal that in today's dollars and cents, I mean, Mar- Mariota's was pretty current, it basically runs around $10 million, million a season. When you bomb with a second team, that draft status kind of runs from you. Uh, because when you bomb with your first team, everybody makes excuses. Because odds are the scouts that are on your team looked at this as like a can't-miss prospect. And they can't believe that he's missed. And instead of maybe focusing a lot on the the pro-level tape, they're still stuck in the college mode 
and they're still stuck with the talent evaluation phase and it's just being blamed on the other team and that's exactly what happened with Carolina when it came to Darnold right they they I'm sure they looked at Darnold and said this guy should have been taken number one in the draft in 2018 or number two um you know, should have been taken there in the draft. But, you know, the Jets did him no favors. Look at who he was working with. <coughs> you know, it was a quarterback, uh, a coaching carousel, right? He, he's got Todd Bowles, who's not an offensive guy. And he's got Adam Gase, who's just terrible. He's got two general managers. He's got Mike McCagnin, and then he's got Joe Douglas. Neither of them really doing much. He wasn't Douglas's guy. Douglas didn't do a lot to help him out either. Um, they didn't have a lot of talent on that team. You know, they, they didn't even want to keep Robbie Anderson. We like Robbie Anderson in Carolina. We think he's a good player. We think he's worth, you know, the $10 million a year investment. Jets didn't think he was worth anything. So they just wanted to to give Darnold another, another new face to work with. No continuity. No continuity on the offense. No continuity anywhere. And you convince yourself that all the problems were by the Jets and not by the quarterback and you go and you make a trade for him where you give up the the two second round picks and he comes in and wouldn't you know it Sam Darnold's just not a good quarterback maybe there's still a chance that he will be but he's just not a good quarterback but they were able he was able to capitalize on the fact that the Panthers just blame the Jets if Baker Mayfield didn't play at all this year for Cleveland um, you know, people were going to look at him when he went into free agency this year, and they're going to look at it and say, well, you know, Cleveland, you know, he got them to the playoffs. Or he, he was the quarterback on their playoff team, and they just really didn't do right by him. You know, they, they wanted to get Deshaun Watson. They brought him in. They relegated him to the bench. They didn't want to give him an opportunity. Uh, they didn't want to, he had a lot of offensive coordinators there. They didn't really want to tailor an offense maybe to his skill set. It was always just kind of, figuring out ways to fit him in. You know, we can do something with him. And that's what would have happened if he sat there. Going to Carolina is no sure thing. Look, he might not win the starting job. That's number one. Number two, he's on a team where everybody is on the hot seat. Every coach is on the hot seat. What does that mean? That means if Mayfield starts and the team goes 0-2, do you think they're going to trot Baker Mayfield out there for week three? Or do you think they're going to look and they're going to say, well, you know, we're paying Sam Darnold $19 million this year. Let's give it a shot with him because it's not working with Mayfield. You're not going to get the time, um, you know, to do that. You, you are going to have to either come out of the gates flying or you're probably going to find yourself on the bench. And when you fail that second time, then teams look at you differently. They move out of evaluation mode and they, they start to scratch their heads and go, wait a minute. You know, he failed with the Browns and he failed with the Panthers. You know, and they, they, there's other little things too that I, I'd be a little concerned about um, if McCaffrey is healthy. Look, Mayfield will make more difference to the team than Christian McCaffrey. Even if Mayfield is a mid-grade quarterback, that will make more of a difference than Christian McCaffrey being healthy. Christian McCaffrey will get credit, though, because he's going to be a fantasy football killer, and he'll put up a ton of yards if he's healthy. It doesn't matter how meaningful or how non-meaningful it is um, you know, to the team itself. 
you're going to get a lot of people that fawn over him rather than fawning over the quarterback. Same thing would happen with Darnold if Darnold is in there and McCaffrey comes back. Even saw it last year with, you know, when uh, Darnold had those three games in a row where he was decent and they they won the first three games. I think it was the first three games they won. And McCaffrey goes down. It's like, well, he didn't have McCaffrey. You're, there is no good great quarterback in the league that needs a superstar running back. All right? Is it nice to have? Sure, it's wonderful to have. Who cares? There is none of them that need it. If they need this super special running game, it means they're not a good quarterback. It means you can upgrade your quarterback position. That's what it means. Um, But, you know, I'd be very worried about that if I'm Mayfield. Now, I know this is the only job he could get. <clears throat> I think the other thing you learned from this is that the Seattle talk was all just kind of as you, as I had guessed a couple of weeks ago, smoke coming out of uh, Cleveland just to try and push the price up. And I, I don't think that worked at all. Um, you know, so anyway, I, I, I think the bottom line is I like the trade for the Panthers. Not crazy about it for Mayfield. Not crazy about it for the Browns. Uh, I think, um, you know, the Browns, I don't know. Maybe the Browns could have just waited and hoped somebody got hurt in training camp and then done a better deal. And, uh, you know, if not, you just eat the money. You know, eat that extra $9 bucks. Um, You know, ra- rather than kind of setting a precedent for just making a bad trade. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And, you know, if you're Mayfield, I just think the risks here probably outweigh the rewards. Uh, and I know people are going to say, well, you know, he's he's confident. You know, all, all NFL players are confident in their abilities. Maybe so. Um, but, you know, you, you do have to think logically sometimes. And that's what your agents are there to steer you for, um, you know, to help you with that kind of stuff. So I, I, I don't know if that was really the case. I think this was all emotions. And you know, Carolina got the the best, I think, of that. So you know that that's my little take on that. I know it's kind of late to the game, so I, I don't think you got to go too much more into it than that. But see how it comes out. But I, I'd be a little concerned um, on the Mayfield end here. Uh, other thing for this week is you, you've got the franchise tag deadline comes up. I believe it's the fifteenth, so it should be Friday. Uh, this one is about as interesting as paint drying. Uh, you, you, the franchise players this year were not anyone to get excited about. Uh, it's not that they're not good players. It's just not positions you get that excited about. So your, your top franchise player is Orlando Brown. Um, I, I think it's very clear at this point a deal is only going to get done if the Chiefs make him the highest paid tackle in the NFL. Uh, he didn't have an agent for a while. He did go and hire somebody. I, I don't. I, I don't understand the complete distrust. You know his, his statements, not statements, but his logic behind who he hired came across like distrust, and I don't really get that. Um, you know, you you can say you don't need an agent. There's no problem with that. I, I don't think there have been that many agents in the NFL where you would be that distrustful of them as a profession. You know, it's not like the Don King representing Mike Tyson and, you know, 
never uh, never giving him money and so coming through with cars and whatever other nonsense and shortchanging all the time. It's not like that. Um, you know, I, I think they have stuff in place that, that keeps you from getting really kind of taken advantage of. Uh, his feeling was that, you know, you, you have guys that have too much of a relationship, I think, with a team and they, they don't do you right. I, I don't think any of that is true. But I, I think it's pretty clear that he's he's going to look to be the, the highest paid, uh, slightly over $23 million a year. I don't think the Chiefs will do that. I think the Chiefs probably look at his value as under 20. Um, so we'll see. I, I would say there's a chance at least that that one gets done. But, you know, I, I think the, the issues that he's, he's going to have there with getting that deal... Um, you know, I, I think both sides there, you know, they, they signed the guard last year to be the highest paid at his position, which I, I think gives Brown a lot of a lot of room to say, well, you know, if he did that, then I should be the highest paid. Uh, I have a feeling they're going to say that he's not as good as Williams, uh, probably not as good as Bakhtiari, and, you know, that he's more of a natural, he's a decent left tackle for him, but, you know, it's still kind of a lot of teams are going to look at him as a right tackle and... Uh, you know, that market is more right around 20. And I think that's probably where they're going to look to, uh, you know, to put them. So I, d- I don't know if that that deal will get done or won't get done. Uh, but if it does get done, I would expect him to be the highest paid of the position. Uh, Jesse Bates, you know, the, the Bengals holding off on this contract and letting Minka Fitzpatrick come in at $18 million a year, um, I, I think that totally blows things up uh right here i would be very surprised if a deal gets done because i think at this point bates has to set his floor <clears throat> at the 17-5 for jamal adams uh i'm not saying that he's going to reach the fitzpatrick number but if adams is at 17-5 and uh fitzpatrick's at 18-3 you know let's call it 17-8 or 18 million four-year contract. I think that's the number that gets a deal done. <clears throat> Bengals, I'm sure, look at him as a 14 or a $13 million a year player. Uh, the franchise tag is so low at the position. That's the only thing that, that I could imagine getting that deal done is the fact that they can franchise tag him two times in a row and it's very affordable. So his tag number this year is 12911. Which means his tag number next year uh, will probably be fifteen five because the safety tag number probably won't go up that much, um, you know, to, to have that kind of rise. But you know, basically, you'd be you'd be looking at you know twenty eight, maybe twenty nine million over two if for some reason the market really jumped up. But it's not designed to do that. So you'd be looking at an investment of fourteen million for two years. And I think that's more up the Bengals' road if he's not going to take a, a deal that, uh, <clears throat> you know, that matches these other things here, that that's going to get to that $18 million a year. And I would guess you'd be looking at a, a full guarantee of like 20, 22, maybe. Um, you know, because his guarantee is all going to be in the signing bonus. I think Adam's top signing bonus with 20, so I think he'd have to top that. Uh, which is a lot of cash, but you know they they do that occasionally. Um, <clears throat> you know, in Cincy, they they look for the back end kind of benefits on their deals more than the front end. So I, I would think that that's kind of unlikely. 
um, to get done. I, I think there'd be a, a big disparity there. And then you have the two tight ends. And both of these, I'd be surprised if they got done. Again, not impossible. Uh, but you have Jacecki and Schultz. And again, I think you have situations where the tag numbers are low. So these guys are on tags for $10.931 million. That probably means that the tag number next year for them is going to be a little over 13. So you're going to be looking at a two-year cost of 24. And, you know, that to me just makes much more sense for a team than, you know, ponying up these big numbers here. Uh, you know, if you look at Njoku, um, you know, he's going to make, what is it, 12 five this year and let me see what his two year is let's take a look at what the the two and three years are for the tight ends and see if it would be worthwhile to do david and joku let's pull him up in our player comp all right so we've got our two year values for players so you can get two years at 24 in uh, Joku's at 25, and that's all pretty much guaranteed. Henry and Smith are at 27. Goddard's at 28, and then Andrews is at 34. His, his contract's a little bit of an outlier um, with that number. And then for year three, you're basically at 40 million um, is what you're going to be looking at. And your your guarantee structures on these are. Um, you know, pretty much going to be about twenty million full, I would think. Maybe a little bit less than that, but probably right around twenty full. Maybe even higher than that. Actually, no, definitely higher than that. You know, you'd probably be looking. I don't think anyone's going to get the John o. Smith number, but you're probably going to try to match Hunter Henry's at twenty-five. Um, you know, that that's probably what you're looking at here, and you're probably looking at injury protection um, close to forty. You know, 36 or 40 million a year. And I, I just, I can't see those teams doing that for these two players. Um, they're good players. I, I don't think, you know, let, let's put it this way. When you think of the players, I'm not sure if you really think of these as franchise players. You know, Dalton Schultz, 800 yards last year, 600 the year before. Um, you know, he does get a lot of tight end, uh, tight ends, a lot of touchdowns. Uh, he's had 12 in the last two years, but you know, he averages basically 10 yards of reception. So he's not stretching the field. He's not someone that is um, going to play any type of role as a, a dangerous um, receiver in an offense. Um, you know, I don't think at least. So again, good player, but I, I don't think I would look at him, um, you know, that way. You know, Jacecki is someone who's basically going to be, you know, 700-yard type receiver. Uh, he can probably open the field a little bit more. But you know what? You, you just spent all this money on Tyreek Hill. You've got all this money invested in receivers, uh, you know, your draft capital or whatnot. I, I'm not going to spend up at tight end. I'm just not going to do it. I, I'll just go draft another tight end. I'll play this one year with him. You know, and maybe, you know what? If he absolutely explodes, you know, to 1,100 yards or 1,000 yards or something like that because of the presence of Tyreek Hill and the development of the quarterback and the development of Waddle and all that kind of stuff, you know what, then you might consider it. But I, I wouldn't 
um, based on where he's at. You know, it's just money that's wasted. And I, I know you got that rookie quarterback and you can do that, but I don't know. I, I just think it's money wasted to get strong-armed into these contracts because the, the tight end market just, you know, it, it's just not worthwhile. Um, you know, in my mind, there are three tight ends right now. If you look at the way they play and how they perform within those offenses um, that are, or no, four, four. Uh, I should say that um, you know that stand out to me, and I think those players, in no particular order, are Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, and Darren Waller. I think those are the four. And um, once you drop below those four, I think you have a big drop off. But there's no drop off in salary, so you know it, it's like Kittle's 15, Kelsey is a fake 14-3. He's really less than that. Andrews is at 14. You have Goddard at 14-3. And Joku's at uh, 13-7. Henry's at 12-5. Jonu Smith is at 12-5. Uh, Zach Ertz is at 10-5. Taysom Hill is at 10. Evan Ingram's at 9. So, you know, I, I'm only going to spend up, I, I think, for one of those other guys. And that's probably it. I think otherwise, I, I would rather look in free agency in the future at the, the CJ Uzama types who kind of come out, you know, maybe a Tyler Higby type of player who's going to pop out. The Tyler Conklin signed this year uh, with the Jets. Um, you know, I'd rather look at that type of player. You know, I'd probably rather get an Austin Hooper for $6 million. You know, just get a player like that every year, um, you know, to, to put into my offense. Uh, especially where you've got all the money invested in the the thing and you know what if they are successful you're going to have to set aside a lot of money for your quarterback who's going to want an extension after the season so i i wouldn't do that deal at all that one i kind of feel like that has a better chance of getting done than the schultz deal um just the teams involved i i kind of feel that way i know people are going to say that's weird uh but i i've seen miami I've seen Miami do more questionable type contracts or risky type contracts um, than I've seen Dallas do it. I know everyone's oh Ezekiel Elliott. Well, yeah, um, you know because the owner had a this affinity for him and kind of got involved. I don't believe Jerry is going to do that when it comes to Schultz. Um, so we'll see if any of these players sign this week, but I don't know. It's not that, uh, none of it's really that exciting to me um, as to how it goes. But I, I'd like, I'll watch the Brown one pretty close. I, I think that that's a little bit interesting. The other three don't really move the needle much for me. Uh, only other thing I wanted to mention at all here was a uh, really a comment from Florio on Twitter uh, today. And I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, Basically, some people are finally starting to notice that, like, there's not a lot of positivity um, around Lamar Jackson, which is weird because he's been a a really, um, you know, terrific player. And, uh, you know, Florio's comment on this, let me see if I can find it. Uh, this is a byproduct of not having an agent, frankly. He doesn't have someone constantly talking him up to executives. He doesn't have anyone to defend him from criticism, parroted by agents who represent the other top quarterbacks. The narrative gets baked in over time. Now, I don't agree fully with that statement. Um, you know, let, let me just start with that. The executives thing, no. I mean, no. 
it, it, it's not that. It, it's not like the agent is pitching a story to the head of ESPN. The agent, though, does have relationships with certain people in the media. Florio is probably one of them. And when you look at the treatment of someone like a Dak Prescott, where what happens is you, you get on this franchise tag path. And <clears throat> by June, <clears throat> if not sooner than that, probably at the beginning, probably during OTAs, uh, the biggest names who were there because they're getting information on the, the contract stalemate or somebody sending something out there um, will drum up interest in a player. And, you know, that they, they will start to bang the drum for why is this guy not signed? Why is this guy not getting a deal done? Why is, you know, he he's a superstar player. All signs indicate they're going to sign him soon. And sometimes some of the stuff is BS. Sometimes people do just put stuff out there thinking it will do some favors for them. Uh, I know a couple of years ago I posted something on Twitter um, I shouldn't say that. I probably wrote an article uh, about a post on a contract, and it turned out the the information it was from a you know one of the reputable news people. I, I don't remember which one, I don't know, Rappaport or whatever. Um, it was totally bogus. Uh, basically, I was told no, no, don't. It's bogus. It's not uh, none of, none of it's legitimate um, <clears throat> as to what the claims are in this report, um, but. You know, I, I don't think it was made up, but it, it, I think they thought that it was doing some favors, uh, maybe somewhere by putting a rumor out there that could have been looked at as somewhat positive. So I, I do think that's absolutely the case. Um, you know, if you don't have someone calling or texting Adam Schefter every other day to talk about what wonderful shape he's in and how the team isn't doing right by him and this guy is an MVP, this guy is this, this guy is the face of the franchise and not treating him as such, you don't get those stories that are out there because there's no benefit to you doing it. Um, you know, the, the only information you're getting at that point is something that comes from the team and that stuff is much more safeguarded and certainly they're not going to want you to spin that we're getting a deal done with him. Um so I, I think that, that that is true. It, it is kind of an interesting comment, though, about kind of some of those soft benefits of agencies. No criticism. You know, that that's not the case. Um, you know, the, Florio saying that this is criticism from agents. And again, I'm just going to say he's one of the people that piled on uh, Russell Okun when he did his deal, as did a lot of people. That was all parroted by agents. Um now, if maybe Mike independently came to that conclusion within the first five minutes of when the deal was signed, anything is possible. Uh, for the other people, clearly it was not. But, um, you know, I, I don't believe that's the case, that the people are giving these stories, um, you know, about that. You know, Lamar Jackson was, when he came out of college, was polarizing to a lot of people that did evaluations, especially to the older generation evaluator. And a lot of those people, I think, still look at him as a questionable player. And because this gets to the point where having that agent would be beneficial, because Lamar Jackson is basically in total media silence, and it's not like he has a, a big agent that is able to call the radio host or, you know, put word out to the radio host 
uh, about something or, you know, something that they can do to benefit you or the television host or the, the social media feed or whatever it may be, you end up booking these guys who are just going to be controversial talking about him because that's the most interesting thing you can get. And there is no pushback on it, uh, not because it's coming from other agents looking to badmouth him. It, it's just there's nothing positive coming from his camp because he is basically in lockdown. You know, he's in limbo um, when it comes to that stuff. That's not going to be his, um, you know, his forte with anything. But I, I do think the the thought that having an agent would help you navigate some of these situations, I think is absolutely the case. Now, all Lamar Jackson has to do is convince one team, you know, that he's the guy, right? It, it's not like he has to convince me or you or ESPN or anyone else. As long as he's happy with what he is doing, um, you know, he'll be fine. You know, he just has to to make sure that, um, you know, that, sorry, I just got something here. Uh, you know, he just has to make sure that he stays on, on point um, when it comes to doing that. When it comes to talking with the Ravens and discussing his contract. I don't know if they'll get a deal done. I, I've always been of the mindset that they're probably speaking two different languages um, in regards to that. Um you know, with the, the contract stuff and everything else. And yeah, there, there was an interesting, I think it was an article. Um, yeah, I think it was Stephen Dramov, uh, who did one thing, good kid. Uh, I'm pretty sure he did it for 33rd team where he looked back at some of the players who've represented themselves and had some interesting insights from some former uh, football execs as to the difficulties in negotiating with a player. And I know one of the things mentioned was, you know, contract language. They're like, the various mechanisms and um one of the people was basically said yeah i had to do like a whole presentation explaining this is when you get the money this is what this means this is what's at risk this is what's not and it reminded me so much of discussions we've had with people um you know who have done work with their own contracts or happen to work as agents or um young people trying to get ahead in the league that have bought the book vj and i did and the big thing was like you got the, the feedback, you know, it was you guys did such a great job of defining these terms. It made me feel like I could go into that room beyond that call or whatever. I understood what people were talking about. I understood when I got the offer, what this meant, what did this mean? What did that mean? What did this vesting thing mean? You know, what did all these things mean? Because we put something out there that actually explained it when that kind of stuff didn't exist. Not that everybody buys it. Not that everybody looks at it. I have no idea if uh, Lamar Jackson did. Probably did not. Um, but, you know, I, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. And, you know, my, my, my take on the Jackson one, too, is that Baltimore does their deals in a very different way. And I think their stuff is a little bit more nuanced as to the, the pros and the cons of those deals. And I think if you're representing yourself, unless you're really into, really, really into studying like the contract side of stuff, um, which most people aren't, um, you know, had nothing to do with being a player, anything like that. It's just like complete nerddom uh, when it comes to, to doing some of the number stuff. You know, there's a small group of people who are really into that. Everybody else just 
falls in line with the big numbers. And if you're repping yourself and you're very focused on that annual value and that guarantee, the Baltimore Ravens might not be the time to uh, to get you those numbers to where you can find like a common ground to get a deal done. Um, you know, but you know, if, if he runs the numbers, no, he shouldn't do a deal. He should just play on the franchise tag and say, I'm going to make more money playing on the tag as long as I don't get hurt. Uh, so anyway, I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing from him. And I think there, there's some truth to it that there would have been benefits having an agent to dealing with though that kind of stuff. Um, you know, but I, I don't think that it's like, you know, if he had an agent, he'd be getting puff pieces on ESPN every day. You know, I'm assuming that's what that executive's line meant. Uh, let's get into a couple questions here and then we'll wrap this up. Let's just take a look. All right, let's go back a couple days here. Let's see. All right, here we go. Please explain why the Jets didn't put workout slash conditioning bonuses in Becton's contract when it was obvious to everyone this was going to be an issue for him. For Christ's sake, he tested positive for PEDs at the combine. I don't understand it. Lord Rustin. Uh... So that kind of stuff is not really allowed in a rookie contract. So once the Jets decided to draft Becton where they drafted him, that contract was basically done. Um, you know, the, the things there were simply going to be, um, you know, dates on bonuses and stuff like that. You know, he's a top pick in the draft. He is locked in on a contract total. You are not going to see any single player who's there get that type of um, conditioning bonuses and stuff like that. It's basically just not a viable option. Look, for for as out of shape as he may end up being, and nobody knows, I, I think that's the I think the thing that's really upsetting with him is that nobody knows because it's almost like he's been hidden for over a year. And it, it was like a brief appearance, it seemed like, at the off-season program just to where people could say they didn't really know where he was physically, so they didn't want to do much with him because they just don't know where things would be. Um, but once they made that decision to draft him, you're, you're locked in. And look, he's cheap. I mean, for, for as bad as things could be with him, which would be another year of him being hurt, even if he's your backup tackle or something, it's still not a lot of money to pay for a backup tackle. You just get frustrated with it because you, you, you know, paid a high draft price for him. Um, you know, right right now it doesn't look good for him, but you see what happens. And you, you see if he comes back in better shape this year um, and if he can stay healthy and stay on the field. And if he can't, you know, I, I think that... I think there was a question as to whether the Jets would count on him this year. Um, I think if he was a a pick of the of the prior regime, he would be out already. Uh, but I believe he was a Joe Douglas pick, so I, I think that probably um, I think that probably saved him. Um, you know, from from being traded this year or being replaced. Um, so, you know, it, it's a, uh, you know, it's just a situation to watch and see where it goes. But this is a this is a big season for him. Jets fan 88. Oh, more on Becton. What's your view on Mekhi Becton's situation? What happens if he can't get back into playing shape for the season? Um, 
Brian adds that our salary guarantee is contingent on passing a physical. No, his uh, his salary stuff is guaranteed. So if if there were non-football injuries, and I, I don't know enough um, to see if there was something else that went on there, if they could prove that there was some type of injury that was not football related, that could void his guarantees. You know, but uh, but otherwise. Anything that's basically related to playing football, he's going to be fine with it. You know, you you can you can go down the road of saying you're not really keeping yourself in shape and try and fight out that way. It's hard to get out of those guarantees that way. Um, you know, basically, as long as he follows whatever type of rehabilitation program the Jets put in place, and this is just my assumption, but my assumption would be. Because he's a high draft pick, they probably treat him with kids' gloves a little bit last year when it came to what they required him to do versus what they would allow him to do on his own. Uh, He probably hasn't done anything to violate that. So as long as you are following whatever treatment schedules the Jets put in place for you and all that stuff, your salary is going to be okay. Uh, just getting by. I would love to know the cap number for Tart in Philadelphia. Uh, I think that's on the site. I think it's one point one two million. It's minimum minimum salary. Uh, Joe, what do you expect the APY to be on an Orlando Brown contract? Um, I I would imagine you know twenty three one. If a deal gets done, twenty three one is probably the number. Um, you know to get a contract done, maybe five years in length. Brian, from someone else's question last week about the meaning of dead money, doesn't a large amount of dead money mean that the team took too many ill-advised risks? The Rams are routinely among the leaders in dead cap, but uh, you don't need me to tell you about their success. I'd have to look to see how bad they are with their their cap overall. Um, I, I they, they probably are, though, because you've had Gurley, you've had Goff, you've, you've had a couple of real big misfires there. But I, I think the thing with the Rams... So here's the thing with the Rams uh, when it comes to the the dead money about taking too many risks. The Rams' dead money is a little bit inflated over teams that took too much risk because they're inflating their dead money because they're, they're admitting that these players were a bust. So in other words, um, I guess that what I would look at is say, okay, they lead the league in dead money because they cut a guy like Todd Gurley early in his contract versus Dallas, who maybe won't carry as much dead money for Ezekiel Elliott. But if you really look at it from the standpoint of the fact that, well, Dallas carried him, though, at big cap numbers all these other years, you know, they just kind of kept him on the roster to to hide that dead money a little bit. So, I mean, um, let me see what it Elliot's numbers will be. Where's Ezekiel Elliott? Let me just pull up Ezekiel Elliott. You know, so in other words, Ezekiel Elliott, the last three, the last four years. So Dallas has carried him at 6'4, 10, 9, 6, 8, 18, 2, and then next year he's going to be 11, 9 dead. And when you look at Todd Gurley, Let's see. Uh, Gurley's deal went 7 2, 9 2, 
11884. Um, so I think if you look at Elliot, they're going to end up spending, let's see how much on him in cap space in... They'll be around $37.6 million for one, two, three, four, five years. Uh, the Todd Gurley deal, if they had allowed it to play out, would have cost the Rams 7 3. Um, they wouldn't have gotten into a fifth year. It's a little bit different. I'll throw the fifth year in there. Yeah, that that's see that it's not a real apples to apples comparison because of the years that remaining on the contract. But if they if they had let it play out, it would have cost them forty seven, um, you know, in cap room if they had let that play out. And instead, their four year total on him is going to end up being uh, let's see. Eleven seven five and eight point four. You know thirty six. So you know they they could have carried him on the roster to hide that dead money for a little while, and basically carried him at thirty seven. Um. You know I'm sorry. Uh, they would have carried him at about forty seven plus some dead money, they ended up getting out of the contract and paying 36 on the cap for it. So, you know, they, they ended up moving on from it. So they saved themselves a lot of cap space by inflating their dead money. Uh, I, I think the point is true that they probably did take on too much risk, but what makes them different, what makes them unique, and it's one of the things that I, I think stands out about them, they admit failure pretty quickly. They, they, they admit they screwed up, they admit they messed up, and they just move on from there. And so it inflates your dead money in the short run, but it actually creates a better salary cap situation in the long run, um, you know, based on the deals that they did. So I think that, uh, yeah, they've, they've probably taken too many risks, but as long as you're willing to move on from those risks quickly, you are mitigating some of the risk that way. You're not doubling and tripling down. You're not like the Giants who, you know, just get stuck with these guys for two or three years because you, you keep doubling down on, like, bad players on bad contracts. They're just moving on. They're just saying, all right, we screwed up, our bad, but let's move on before it gets even worse. So I, I think you, you do have to take that into account a little bit when you look at the dead money and you know where it's kind of coming from and what the alternatives could have been um, for the team uh, You know, if they continued to kind of keep buying into those players the way the majority of teams in the NFL would have done. Scott says, need to know if Jimmy G collects his roster and workout bonuses regardless of trade or release. Uh, his workout bonus, yes, as long as he participated or was excused because of injury, which I'm sure he was. 
Uh, that would be picked up. And... That would be it. The other stuff he has a per-game bonus. So those aren't earned until during the season. So basically you'd be looking at a $2 million cap hit if he's released. Um, you know, or I'm sorry, traded a $2 million cap hit. Or, um, you know, if he's... Right now he has a 7.5 injury guarantee. So if he's healthy, you're looking at $2 million dead to cut him. Otherwise, you're looking at, uh, let's see, 9-9. Nine, nine, um, Wait, how much? It's a 1-4 prorated. Yeah. Yeah, so 9-5. Yeah. 9-5 um, if he is uh, cut. Um, let's see. Uh, Zach says, uh, there are th read something that says there's three types of guarantees, skill cap and injury. It also said the teams only do full guarantees or injury guarantees and never for skill or cap. Why is that? Um, teams would do a cap guarantee in a heartbeat because it's meaningless. Uh, basically, it, it boils down to this. There, are, there is money that is put into escrow. So you, you basically, when you do certain guarantees, um, that money has to be set aside by the team. Um, you know, less certain things. It's not the, it's not the full value um, a lot of times. But <clears throat> you end up having to set aside money. And that's all based on the skill guarantee. So when teams cry poor because of the escrow aspect of it, basically what they're saying is we can't give you a skill guarantee, but we can give you an injury guarantee because the injury guarantee they don't have to put in escrow. And, you know, teams also know that the injury guarantees more often than not don't really come into play. So... That's that's why they do injury guarantees, and that's the other reason why they do a full guarantee. Because if they're guaranteeing it for skill, and we already know that most, not all, but most players really aren't protected that much by the injury guarantee. Um, <clears throat> you know, if you gave somebody the skill guarantee, well, you may as well just give them the injury protection and the cap protection because it's that skill guarantee that's the really the one that the players want. So that's why the teams are reluctant to uh, to do that. The cap one, it goes to the other aspect of it. It's completely meaningless, um, especially nowadays. So, you know, you're not going to have players released for cap. So the agents are like, well, that's stupid. Like, why would why would we agree to just take a, a cap guarantee? So that that's why uh, that's why that one comes into play. Um, you know, it's kind of a non-factor. It's like teams won't do skill. Uh, agents wouldn't want to do just cap. So injury is like the common ground, and then the next level up is, well, you may as well just guarantee all three so we can say it's fully guaranteed. Uh, Ian, obvious question. How would you have handled the Jimmy G situation differently? How to resolve it? Uh, I don't think there's any resolution, and I don't know if there is much of a different way to handle it. I mean, if it was me... Uh, I would have tried to get him to take a pay cut last year, and I, I would have taken this year off his contract. Um, you know, and I, I just would have been done with it, uh, or I would have just cut him outright last year. Um, you know, if he wouldn't ex accept a pay cut. Um, now, in hindsight, maybe that would look bad because they had a nice little playoff run with him, and obviously that's beneficial for a team, uh, beneficial for the fan base. Um, so. 
<clears throat> you know, I don't want to take that away from them. Uh, but I, I think if it was me, this would have been taken care of last year, and I would have just gone with the rookie and dealt with the growing pains and figured out where I need to go versus where they are this year. Where they are right now, there's nothing they can do. You know, you're just waiting to see if he can get healthy so you can release him without having to pay him that money. So I think that I think they're for this year. I think what they're doing is right. I think last year they handled it wrong. I think keeping him at the full number um, didn't make a lot of sense, and uh, you know that that's led to where they are this year. But you know, if you think that Jimmy Garoppolo is the only reason they could have made the playoffs last year, then I don't think you complain too much about it. Black Gold, what would a Quinn and Williams extension look like now versus next year if he breaks out in year four? So, again, you know, you do have draft status that, like I said, kind of sticks with you. But when I look at Quinn and Williams right now, uh, I do not see a $20 million a year player. And I am sure, based on where he's drafted and everything else, I am sure that his sights are set on being a 20 plus. I would guess a floor that you would set would be like Jonathan Allen's 18. Um, but I don't know. I, I just don't see that right now. Um, Williams right now falls more into that role of a more traditional kind of part-time-ish player at the position. And I shouldn't say part-time. He, d he doesn't reach those crazy thresholds of snap counts. You know, he's basically like a 60%, um, you know, kind of guy, 55, 60%. So he's he's like the leading rotational guy, but he's not like the, he's not like the top guy. It's like, um, you know, Leonard Williams with the Jets was always around 80, and I think he's around 75 with the Giants. Uh, let me look up Jonathan Allen. You know, Jonathan Allen, you know, Jonathan Allen is uh, around 70, 75, 78. You know, they're, they're not in the 50s and 60s. Um, who is he? Uh, who was the other player? I'm thinking of uh, Buckner. Let's see where he was at. You know, that that's always something that I think is very valuable for these guys who are kind of interior linemen is you, you want to look at their how often the teams put them on the field. Yeah, you're, you're looking at 80%, basically, 78 79%. So, you know, I for Williams to, to reach to that next threshold, because he he's a, he's a level below it. Um, you know, is, is he a better player than, like, the DJ Reader types? Probably, because he's more of a threat, I think, to... Uh, you know, to, to rush the passer, um, you know, than the, those guys who are more traditional kind of run guys. But, you know, I, I would put him probably, you know, somewhere in that in-between category, um, you know, more than reaching that top level. But, I mean, if he can stay healthy... Um, and it's, it's not like he misses a lot of games. I, you know, he needs more consistency. Um, you know, I, I think he needs more consistency and you need him to go out there and just kind of be a terror. Um, you know, I, I think he has to do that unless the team is very successful. You know, if the team gets very successful and he just 
does a lot of things that don't st- show up on the stat sheet, you know, that then then that's a little different. You know, that, then you run into that uh, different kind of situation. But, you know, based on where he's at right now, he's probably in that $15 million a year range. Uh, but if he can get on that field more, you know, he, he can reach the 20s. Um, I, I think that's definitely uh, a possibility. But, um, you know, he, he's got to get there. So I, I think this is a big year for him. Uh, did Baker get the tag removed in return for a pay cut? Also on a technical level, does he get one game check from the Panthers and the Browns? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know about the tag removed. You know, that would make... that That is one of the things... Uh, I should have mentioned that before. That would at least make sense for giving up the 3-5. Uh, I doubt he did, but, you know, that that's at least a, a reasonable thing. Um you know, if you got that, um, he will get a game check, obviously, from the Panthers. From the Browns, it will be dependent on how they restructured his contract. You know, they, they so they're, they're paying him a signing bonus, I would imagine. Uh, it depends. You know, is that signing bonus all paid at once to just get it done with? It's possible that's how they did it. It's also possible they're paying it over 17 weeks, or it's possible they're paying it... Um, you know, over a 36-week period. So it, it just depends on the contract and how it was negotiated as to what the payment terms of that bonus will be. feel like a beggar here, but any chance you get out of retirement option to the cap calculator? Uh, totally not asking because of Brady and my bucks cap situation. Um, I could try to ask Nick, but I mean, for the most part, if you want to see how retirement will work, all you have to do is set it to trade. Um you know that that's basically all you have to do because the the trade would essentially do the same thing. The trade would uh, eliminate the guarantees out of the contract, so you wouldn't be paying for those um, on it, and it would leave you, you know, with your prorated charges. So, you know that that's what I would say is the uh, you know the option to do it. Um, you know, if, if your consideration is um, what restructure could a player do, um, you know, to do like the Drew Brees thing, right, to, to bring that number down, that wouldn't show in a retirement anyway. You know, unless, I guess unless we programmed it to be a um, cap-friendly retirement, I guess we could maybe do something like that. Uh, but, you know, basically all you would do is just go in there and restructure the player's contract to make the cap hit equal to the minimum salary for the year, uh, make the, make the player's P5 equal to the minimum salary for the year and keep the prorated money as is. Brett says, what do you think an Elton Jennings, uh, Jenkins extension would look like? You know, he's coming off an injury, but I, I would think he's going to get a lot of money. Um, I just don't know if it's going to come from that team. You know that they have so many issues right now with their their cap, and you know who's playing where. Um, you know Jenkins. You know basically he can price himself as a guard. I mean he can play anywhere, kind of on the line. Um, you know I I would say as a you know selling himself as a guard. I guess seventeen a year um, would would kind of be the the number um, that I would look at, but you know, 
I, I would think that you are going to have the ability to sell yourself as a left tackle or as a right tackle, you know, a complete jack of all trades. And, you know, if, if you look at that and you say, okay, as a guard, you're looking at 17. As a right tackle, you know, you're looking at 19. As a left tackle, you're looking at 20. Now, you're probably looking at a 19, $20 million contract because of all the all the, the things that he can do. But, you know, he's he's got to be healthy this year. So I think that's the first thing as you see um, how it plays out. But I, I don't. I don't think they would do an extension right now. I just don't think they have the, the room to do it. John says, I hear the Raiders cap is a mess next year. So what options do they have to clean it up? And should Waller wait until next year for an extension? Waller should get an, should take an extension this year. Um, doesn't mean the Raiders will do it. Uh, you know, the, the tight end market is what it is. Look, with Kittle where he's at, the tight end market's not going to grow. And my opinion is you're not going to earn more than George Kittle. I think he's going to be a block, you know, on there for a little bit of time. So my opinion is you get a deal done within the framework of the market now, you know, 14 a year, 15, uh, 14 a year, probably something like that. Um, you know, as for their cap next year, uh, let's see if it's that bad. I haven't really looked, you know, ahead. Um at 2023, yeah, so I have the Raiders are basically right on the cap for next year, um, plus whatever they can carry over. I mean, you know, Derek Carr has a 34 cap hit. You know, you're going to restructure that. Uh, Devontae Adams has a $30 million cap hit. You would restructure that. So, I mean, they, they can they can free up a lot of money um, very quickly, you know, with, with a lot of these guys. You know, you, you basically on Carr, if you wanted to, um, you know, you, you could basically save about $24 million there um, with Adams just on his roster bonus alone. Um, you know, you could save sixteen. Uh, I think it is. Um, you know, as long as you add maximum void years, um, you know, that, that's about what you'd be able to do. Um, you know, yeah, you'd save 16 there. So, I, I mean, you're already talking a lot more money. You can free up a little bit with Chandler Jones. Um, you know, Crosby's got a 10, he's got 17 million that you could restructure in there. So, I mean, there there's a lot that they can do, um, you know, to free up space. So, I, I don't think I would look at them and say, okay, they have no cap room next year, they're screwed. I would look at it more as, okay, they're going to potentially pinch themselves in the future. And maybe it won't happen if the cap really does skyrocket up. But there is potential to pinch themselves in the future with moves they make in 2023. But I don't think I'd look at 2023 and say, okay, this is a problem for them unless they're really bad this year. You know, if, if they're a three or a four win team for some reason this year, yeah, then you're in bad shape because you're not, you don't want to double down on Carr and those guys if there's no chemistry on this team. Um, you know, you just want to move on at that point. Brian, uh, purely as a joke, but what is your favorite funniest Jets offseason story in light of the recent Zach Wilson news and rumors? Uh, so for those unfamiliar with it, Zach Wilson and his girlfriend broke up and she says that he was having uh, an affair with his mother's friend, I think was the uh, the thing. So Zach Wilson is now kind of turned into a Twitter hero 
it seems like at this point. Uh, I don't know if there was an off-season story. I mean, not really a story. You know, a, a story that was written was about um, Rex Ryan's sensei years ago. Something like that. It was silly. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek a little bit, but it, it was kind of silly. Um, you know, in terms of just silly stuff, you know, I mean, by far, the the and it's not an off-season story, but by far the silliest thing was the Joe Namath, I'm going to kiss you uh you know middle of the game thing um but otherwise yeah i don't know i don't, I don't think the the jets there's been too much uh you know funny stuff you know me you know most of the time i i would just hear stories that were kind of cool like uh, uh buddies one time went out to eat after going out to a bar they bumped sean ellis who uh was out also getting some late night food and uh i think they they ended up striking up a conversation with him and he covered everybody's bill uh um, that was there. That's not really a story. That's just more of a somewhat personal story. Um, you know, but yeah, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's been, um, too much stuff that would stand out along the lines of the Zach Wilson thing, just in, in terms of, uh, kind of pure comedy. Uh, Waller's out. Um, Waller's agent is apparently renegotiating his deal with the Raiders. Still has two years to run. What do you think he's worth at 30? Do the Raiders need to do a deal now? And can they afford it? So they can definitely afford it. Um, the Raiders don't have to do a deal. Uh, the the I think the issue for the Raiders on not doing a deal is it, you know, it, it just sends a little bit of a message to the locker room. You know, you, you did bring in a couple guys from the outside, but you did extend Carr. Uh, but I, I think you, you want this to be like, okay, you, you have these guys that you think are the cornerstones of the organization. You want to do right by them, do well by them, and kind of make them whole. Um, you know, in his case, for what was a, a understandable contract as to why he signed it, but, you know, not a very good contract given his uh, skill level once he got completely, um, you know, his life completely turned around. Uh, tight ends can play for a while. Uh, he's been important to that offense. He's a good player. You know, I, I think if you look at where he's at production-wise, um, you know, I, I think probably like 14 a year. I think that's kind of a fair figure, um, you know, for him. Uh, I think that would kind of make it right. Uh, Dave asks, Is a, has a position player ever had an exclusive tag play, uh, placed on them? Feel like teams ever place the wrong tag? Is the non-exclusive tag a good option for mid-tier quarterback like Hertz? Um, so the exclusive tag has been used a couple of times, and it's been used in the situations where the exclusive tag and the regular tag are the same price. Uh, I don't think anyone has used the exclusive tag when the prices are dramatically different. I think it's only been when the prices are the same. Maybe if they're pretty close to the same, but I think it's only been when they're they're the same. Um, that they, they've been deemed an exclusive player. Uh, I think teams do place the wrong tag all the time. I think there are a number of franchise tag players who would have very little interest in the league, even if they were a transition player. And it's not that they're not good players. It's not like they wouldn't have interest if they were free in free agency. The problem is you end up negotiating a deal where you may be negotiating a deal for the other team and that other team basically has a week to match. So you more or less miss out on a week of free agency 
sitting and waiting to find out if they are going to or not going to match a franchise tag offer. By the time they make that decision, well, free agency is done, right? Even if you want to say, well, all this stuff happens ahead of time, well, it's still done because I, I would be out there negotiating with uh, Orlando Brown, you know, just to use him as an example, on a transition tag while every other left tackle in the market, you know, I'm not going after them because I've pinpointed my guy, but he's on transition tag. So it's known I'm signing him. I can't deal with anyone else. Everybody else is signing with other football teams. Now the Chiefs, a week later, say, yeah, we're going to match the offer sheet. I have nobody left to go back to. So I think the transition tag, when it's a bit cheaper than the franchise tag, makes a lot of sense for players who are not the top-level guys um, you know, at their positions. I think the, the timing restriction on those deals provides enough of a block. Um, and there's very few teams that probably can't match a transition tag. You know, there, there might be a couple where, you know, you, you can structure deals in a way that make it tough to, to match. You know, like the Packers would have had a hard time if Devontae Adams was on a uh, transition tag. Um, they, they could have, you could have crafted a deal to where there was no way that they could match that. And then you would lose him for no compensation at all. Uh, but those situations are few and far between. And if you know, if you know that you're sitting there with say $20 million in cap space, while this player has a salary cap hit of say $15 million from a transition tag, they're not going to make an offer sheet that I'm not going to match. So I, I would I would say that in those cases that there are teams that probably should use the transition tag and they don't. Um, is the non-exclusive tag a good option for a mid-tier quarterback like Hertz? Uh, depends on how he plays. You know, if you, you know, I, I would say that right now. I would say that he would be a quarterback that you would not have to use an exclusive tag on because I don't think he's good enough to where teams would say, all right, we'll give you two first-round picks for him. Um, I think the question would be, could you do a transition with him? I don't know that answer. But uh, at the moment, yeah, I would say that, you know, a uh, non-exclusive tag would be fun. Now, if he goes out there and he throws this year for 4,800 yards and you get to the championship game, all right, maybe you don't want to lose him. Uh, you know, but <clears throat> otherwise, I, I wouldn't, I don't think you need to use an exclusive tag on a player like that. Um, but I, I don't know if you want to use it on him at all. You know, again, you, you see how the year goes and how he plays, but I, I don't think he's a tag player right now. Jacob says, what do you have Baker Mayfield's contract value at? And is his current deal a surplus value for the Panthers? So for the Panthers, his contract really is only worth $5 million on a piece of paper. His contract's going to be worth about fifteen, dollars um, And that's absolutely surplus value. You know, if you have a, a quarterback, especially if he starts and he's only going to cost you $5 bucks, that's huge value. So, I mean, if he starts, a baseline price for a starting quarterback is probably twenty. And even if he doesn't start, you know, the quality of backup 
um, that I would imagine he would be would probably cost you somewhere between seven and ten. Um, so realistically, at a minimum, you're, you're probably talking about two and a half surplus value, and you could be looking at you know thirty to forty million in surplus value if things go incredibly well. Last question from Ted. Assuming the Cowboys do the exact same thing this year with Dak's contract, what cap room can they open by shifting base to bonus? Um, let's take a look. Dak. So Dak's cap number next year is 49-1. He has a 31 base. And Dallas usually tries to make it a tidy number. So let's say they convert 28 they have four years left in that deal. Two, three, four. And they don't add another void void year. So let's just say they, they do it that way. Uh, you know, they, they'd save $21 million, um, by not adding in another void year. So that would move Dallas from where we have them right now, 5.5 over to, you know, about 15 or so under. And remember, the, the stuff we have right now doesn't take into account carryover from 2022 yet. I won't do that until September time frame. So Dallas probably is going to be in a position to carry over 17, 18 million. So if you do DAC where you save 21 and then you, you carry over that other number, you, you're really talking about changing their cap room by 38. So that, that would put them at about 33 um for next year you'd save five million with Elliot gone um I'm just seeing who else would be yeah there, there's a couple small guys I guess that could get released yeah that that's probably about where their situation will be you know, you save what you can with Zeke. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to restructure Demarcus Lawrence and stuff like that. I think I'm not even sure if that was a good move, what they did this year. Um, so, yeah, that, that's about what they would free up, though, with Dak. And so they'll, they'll be okay next year. All right, so I think that does it for me. Um, so hopefully I'll be back on Saturday next week uh, for kind of regular time frame. So uh, if anyone has any questions, you can email them over to me during the course of the week. I don't think I got any this past week. So you can, uh... <laughs> uh, this is a pretty funny one. I got to read this. Jamarcus Russell talked about his NFL career. Um, I got to check that one out and see what that's all about. So anyway, uh, for myself and from Nelly, Nelly, you have anything? Nope. Have a great rest of the week and uh, I will talk to you all again soon.